wonderful music. It's good to see you here. This is the kind of day where you could very easily just turned over and stayed in bed. But I'm so glad you've chosen to be here in this service. I want to thank those men who led the services last Sunday in my absence. I've heard nothing but good remarks about their leadership in introducing our budget emphasis for this spring. Just two weeks from now, you're asked to make a pledge toward this challenging budget of a million and four hundred thousand dollars. Now, perhaps there may be someone here today who is going to react saying, every time I come to church, they talk about money. Well, now, if you are reacting negatively to what I'm saying at this point, just tune me out. Don't don't get uptight about it. I really believe that as you follow Jesus Christ one of these days, you'll get hold of your pocketbook. But until that time comes, I hope you will not allow it to be an excuse for staying away from God's house. Last night, the church was robbed. I was called about 7 o'clock this morning. And all the offices had been broken into and ransacked, also the media center. Well, as I thought about, I, about that, I said, you know, that's terrible, but it's even worse when God's people rob God. And there are a lot of folks who are robbing God of tithes and offerings. Of course, all of those are in the early service. Nobody in this service <laughs> does that. I trust that you are faithful and sharing week after week through the church that which God has blessed you with. This service brings us now to an examination of the last verses of James' epistle. Let's take a moment and review chapter by chapter. Chapter 1 may well be called mature faith. Here James tells us that we should count it all joy when we fall into temptations. For out of these trials of life, good is going to come. Chapter 2, a working faith. James basically is saying to us, verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Man, if you have real faith, it's going to cause you to roll up your sleeves, put on your working clothes, and minister to the needs of people about you. Chapter 3, we entitled A Disciplined Faith. A Disciplined Faith is one that is able to control the tongue and use it in the right way. Chapter 4, 
a growing faith. Evidence of the need of spiritual growth is when there are conflicts, when you're at war with other people, with yourself, and with God. In chapter 4, James gives us effectual steps that can be taken that will eliminate conflict, that will give peace to a life, a home, and a church. Chapter 5, we have entitled A Responsible Faith. Two weeks ago, we looked at two of the characteristics of a responsible, responsible faith. In the first six verses, a responsible faith will overcome temptations in godless materialism. James mentions that there are three temptations that materialism brings to our lives. Placing the wrong value on money things. Earning money in the wrong way. And using it in the wrong way. In verse 5, he talks about living luxuriously. The second mark of a responsible faith is that one lives in the anticipation of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. James gave us some illustrations. To show us how in action, in attitude, and in words, we should be patient until the coming of the Lord. Verse 13 brings us to a third mark of responsible faith. Look at it. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. The word for suffering here speaks of internal pressure. It's a picture of one that has suddenly fallen into trouble. A picture of one who is in great distress. In all of our lives, there are rainy days, bad days. When those times come, James says, pray. God, your heavenly Father, loves you and has the resources either to deliver you in that trial or to take you out of it. Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Thank God for many more days of sunshine. When things go well, when God blesses, when our hearts are full of joy, James says, when the good days come, let him sing praises. You see, praises intensifies the joy of happy experiences. For you to be silent, for your lips to be mute, diminishes 
the joy that God has given to you. And so James says, learn to praise the Lord. That wonderful verse in the Old Testament reminds us that God inhabits the praisings of his people. There's something about praising the Lord that enhances life. That great reformer Martin Luther said, the devil is a sad spirit and makes folks sad. He cannot bear cheerfulness and therefore gets as far off from music as possible and never stays where men are singing, especially spiritual songs. If you want the devil to get off your back, join the choir. <laughs> the devil does not like happy music. Prayer and praise are the two basic elements of the church's worship. But as I read this statement in verse 13, I find it in the context of where James is talking about ministering to, praying for, getting involved with the needs of people. So I believe that this mark of a responsible faith is not only that I learn to pray and to praise God, but as a Christian, I get involved in the needs and the moods of other people in the body of Christ to minister to them. Yes, in the midst of suffering, that we become a support. In the midst of times of happiness and success, that we rejoice with those who rejoice. Someone described the average church as the society of the four S. The sacred society of secluded saints. Is that true of your life? Are you a pew warmer? Are you a sponge that just comes to soak up what you can get? Or have you become responsible in your faith that you are aware of needs, that you're identifying with people, that you are praying with them, supporting them, that you are rejoicing with them, singing with them in times of sunshine? What is the Sunday school? The church organized. The church organized in ministry. For in the Sunday school, people learn each other, interact with each other, begin to do just what this verse says, to pray with them in their suffering and to sing with them in days of joy. And this is the reason as a pastor, I believe with all of my heart, in the importance of building the church through the Sunday school, because through the Sunday school, there is this identification and involvement with at least a segment of people 
to whom you can reciprocate in these very words. Beginning with verse 14 and continuing through 18, James now shares with us that a responsible faith is one who believes in the power of prayer to heal the sick. This is not a blanket formula for healing every sick person. Sometimes God heals, sometimes he doesn't. Let's see what he says. In the first place, he gives the procedure for praying for the sick. Is any among you sick? Now, incidentally, the word sick in verse 14 and the word sick in verse 15 Refer to physical disease, not demon possession. We find nothing in this passage to suggest that this sickness is the result of Satan's activity. Certainly there is in the Bible incidents where Satan caused sickness. But let's be careful in attributing all sickness to Satan. Is any among you sick? Here are the steps. Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, Baptists don't refer to the spiritual leaders as elders, even though that's a good Bible term. It simply refers to those spiritual leaders that are men of faith and prayer. But these elders, according to this passage, did not seem to have any particular charismatic gift of healing, but simply they were representatives of the whole body and they went to minister to this individual who was in need. Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. In the name of the Lord. And so the second thing is that they are to pray in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord represents all that God is. His sovereignty. His power. His love. His resources. To pray in the name of the Lord means that you're invoking the one who is above us, who is able to do all things exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. But also praying in the name of the Lord means that you're praying in his sovereign will. As we are taught to pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying for the will of Jesus Christ to be done. We pray that it is God's will to heal our friends and those of our body. 
Yet sometimes it is not God's will. And so the prayer for the sick must be one of submission, accepting God's sovereign will. A third procedure is anointing him with oil. Literally, the Greek says, having anointed him, which refers to something that has already taken place, whether immediately or sometime prior, prior to this time of prayer, having anointing. And for this reason, there are those who believe that the use of oil in this prayer time for the sick is medicinal. Many physicians in the time of the apostles believed in the healing qualities of oil. And it was often used for various illnesses. And so there are those who believe that using all here speaks of prayer and the use of medicine in order for one to get well. Others believe that all is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You're aware that all is used in the Old Testament as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And it may well be that James was simply saying, Pray in the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. Still, there are others who interpret this to simply be a symbol of God's healing power in Christ, that when the warm, soothing oil was applied, that it would be a visible sign of the power of prayer. It would be an outward sign to help this individual to believe that God would indeed heal him. But I don't know which interpretation you take, and I'm not sure exactly what may have been meant by it. And yet if anyone calls for me and spiritual leaders of this church to come and anoint them of all and pray, I find in my heart the freedom and the joy of doing that, as we did recently for a member of our body. And so the procedure calls the elders. Let them pray in the name of the Lord, anointing him with oil. Consider now the prerequisites of prayer for the sick. And the prayer offered in faith. The Greek word translated prayer here conveys the idea of heart. One who makes entreaty. One who beseeches the name of the Lord. It is contrary to formal, perfunctory kind of heartless praying. The writer is saying, when with a burden, passionate heart, you pray. And so it takes that kind of praying. And the prayer offered in faith, that's the second prerequisite. The writer of Hebrews tells us that he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that is, that he is the same miracle-working God today that he was in the Old Testament. And that by faith we lay hold 
upon the greatness and the glory and the power of God to work in this situation. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. I read just the other day in my quiet time the story in Mark 9, the father who had brought his little boy to the disciples, hoping that they could heal him, but you remember they couldn't. And then he brought him to Jesus, and he said to Jesus, if you can, and I think Jesus must have smiled and said, if I can, if you can believe. All things are possible to him that believe. And then it was that that father cried out, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And ever how much faith he had, Jesus responded, and Jesus touched that boy and made him well. And so we're told in the case of the sick, we are to pray in this kind of believing prayer. And yet every one of us, if we're honest, our faith is mixed with doubt. And so we pray, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And so it must be passionate prayer. It must be the prayer of faith. And then at the end of verse 16, the effectual prayer of a righteous man. It must be prayer coming from the life of one who pleases God. John in his epistle says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything in his name, he will do it because we keep his commandments and do those things that please him. Answered prayer on behalf of sick people comes from a life that is in harmony with God's will. That's obedient to the commandments. One who is pleasing the Lord. And if your life is not righteous in this sense of pleasing the Lord, then, my friend, in so many ways, you are destroying the effect of prayer. But here's still one other characteristic, a prerequisite of answered prayer for the sick. He says the effective prayer of a righteous man and the word effective carries the idea of one who is persistent, one who continues. It carries the idea of one who will not take no, who keeps begging, who keeps asking. And then the illustration of Elijah is used to drive that home. Elijah prayed earnestly, persistently, that it might not rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then in the same way, he prayed that it would rain. And so God sent rain. James is saying, if you will be Elijah-like, if you will persistently Knock, ask, seek, then it is that God will hear and answer your prayer. So those are the prerequisites of praying for the sick. 
but also observe in the passage a provocation of sickness. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Obviously, in this instance, disobedience, sin, was the reason for this sickness. I hope you understand the Bible does not teach that all sickness is the result of sin. Just because someone is sick today does not mean that they're out of God's will, that they have sinned. But there is a great deal of sickness <clears throat> responsible. The source of sickness. Paul teaches this in 1 Corinthians 11. As he said, because of sin, some of you are sickly and some have even fallen asleep. That is, they have died. John teaches this in the fifth chapter of his epistle as he says that there is a sin unto death. You see, my friend, you cannot sin successfully. Be sure your sins will find you out. It will find you out in your health. It will find you out in eternity. Sin has its effect upon your life and mine. And so the writer is saying, in prayer, if sin is removed, then the root cause of that sickness will be taken away, and this one will be restored. But because of the weakness, because all of us are prone to sin, James says, confess your sin. Literally, that says, be in the habit of confessing your sin. Be in the habit with God's people of confessing your sin. I don't believe that all sins are to be confessed publicly. It's not right to hang out your dirty wash before everyone. And yet the Bible teaches that you should confess your sin in the sphere of influence where you have affected people. And if your sin has affected your Sunday school class, it needs to be confessed. If it has affected the whole church, it needs to be confessed. And this is the reason that I believe in our church services that there's a place for a rededication, for an individual to come down the aisle to publicly say, I have fallen, I've sinned, but I'm starting over. I want God to forgive me, and I want this body to pray for me. I believe that some of you could find greater health and peace in your life if the root cause of sickness or the most mental illness was removed from your life through the removal of sin and guilt that is there. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sin will not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. And beloved, you won't get along very well as long as in pride you continue to try to cover up, to hide your sin. But when we come to a point of humility and we begin to confess our sins one to another and pray one for another, 
there will be greater health, mentally, emotionally, and physical health. For the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, please allow me to have just a few more moments to give you this last mark of a responsible faith. This is in verses 19 and 20. A responsible faith not only avoids and overcomes the temptations of godless materialism, lives in the anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ, is involved with the needs and the moods of other people in the body of Christ. Not only that, but a responsible faith believes that through prayer, this kind of prayer, that God will heal the sick and forgive sin. And finally, a responsible faith will cause one to be busy reclaiming the wandering. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, now the King James says what? Errs from the truth. The NIV renders this, wanders from the truth. I like that word best, wander. Because it suggests the true meaning. One who gradually is moving from the will of God. What's the Old Testament term? Backslide. Someone asked a little girl her definition of a backslider. She said a backslider is one who sits on the front row, enthusiastic about the word of God, but then he loses interest and begins to move Sunday by Sunday on toward the back. And finally, he sits on the back row and slips out the back door. You folks on the back row, be careful. <laughs> One who strays from the truth, one who wanders. The hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And the basic cause for wandering of straying is neglecting the truth. You see, when people will not study the Bible, when they will not hear it preached and taught, when, like the writer of Hebrews, they don't pay close attention to what they have heard, then they begin to drift away. Beloved, there are hundreds of people on the Sunday school rules of this church who are wandering they have neglected the truth, and in their neglect of the Bible, coldness and indifference has driven a wedge between them and their responsibilities, their involvement in this church. But a responsible faith will not drop them from the Sunday school role, will not mark them off as hopeless, but a responsible faith will turn him back. How do you turn people back? How do you reclaim them? 
James did not mention it here in these two verses, but it's in the context as he says, pray one for another. Every Sunday school class ought to be organized for prayer. And week by week, your class ought to be praying that God will somehow work in the lives of these indifferent, backsliding absentees and turn them around. And I believe if we would give ourselves to more praying than socializing in our Sunday school, that God would reclaim some of these people. That is not to say there's not a place that I wish that some of you were giving as much time and emphasis to intercessory prayer that God would reclaim the backslider as you are to some other things in your class. And so if we will pray for them, but I think it's very obvious that James is also talking about reaching out to them. Visiting them, loving them back into the fold. There is such a need for you as a responsible Christian in this church to do just that. Listen, we need to win the lost, but we also need to win the saved. Because there's saved people out there who are wandering from Jesus Christ. And if your Sunday school class is not organized with group leaders who are staying in touch, if teachers and outreach people are not ministering to those absentees week by week, you are not functioning as God intends you to function as a part of this body. And so I make no apology for emphasizing again the church organized the Sunday school because it's through the Sunday school that we help people to grow and to stay close to Jesus Christ. My brother, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. This does not mean that you're going to save him from hell. If he's saved, he's already a part of God's family. But James is referring here to God's chastening rod in that if one goes on in disobedience, that God will even take his life physically. And so you will save that soul from that physical punishment of God for his sin and will cover a multitude of sins. The word cover here is the same word that we have translated elsewhere, cover. The atonement is that which covers one sin. And so when one comes back in confession, the blood of Jesus Christ covers his sin. God gives him a new beginning. God sets him on a new road. God takes away the guilt. God gives him peace. My friends, you are needed in God's army not to shoot the wounded. Those who are struggling, who have fallen, who are drifting, but you need to be a part of God's medical corps. 
who will reach out there in love to help the wounded find their way back to the Savior and the fellowship of this church. Will you, will you this week commit yourself to be a, a part of God's medical care to minister to the wounded? Let's pray together. With our heads and hearts bowed, how many of you today would say, praise God, this has been a great week. The Lord has blessed me. Things have gone well. Pastor, church, rejoice with me. I want to praise God. How many of you would raise your hands and say, good, a good week? God, God has blessed me. Amen. Thank you. Put your hands down. How many of you would be honest enough to say, boy, it's been a bad week? Listen, I've, I've had all kinds of problems. There are pressures, there are conflicts. I need you to pray with me in this time of mental anguish and suffering. How many of you would just raise your hand and say, it's been a bad week, I, I need you to pray with me. Amen. Thank you for being honest and sharing that. God bless you. How many of you this morning would say, Pastor, I want to commit myself to helping reach the wounded, to save the saved. I want to be a part of reaching out and ministering to those who are wandering and drifting. And this week, I'm going to contact my Sunday school teacher or outreach leader and get a couple of names of people. And I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to make an effort to contact them. I'm going to dedicate myself to allowing the Lord use me to help bring other people back. I wonder how many of you have raised your hand saying, I'm going to do that this week. I want to be a part of this army to reach the wounded to meet their needs. God bless you. Thank you so much. Put your hand down. And there are those of you who are here today who need to come and get involved. The reason we ask you to Walk the aisle and join this church is to make a commitment. Several of you single people need to do that. There's some couples who are here. There's some new families. They're just visiting around, and God has spoken to you, and you come now. Settle down. Put down roots. Come today and commit your life to the ministry, the service of Jesus Christ in this church. And I know that in a congregation like this, there's some of you who have never trusted Jesus, but God has spoken to you. He's brought you to this point. And now it's time for you to step out in simple childlike faith to accept Jesus and follow him. <laughs> Won't you do that? Lord God, I pray in your name that you'll take this passage and burn it in our hearts and make us responsible people. God, help those who need to make decisions to come today. In Jesus' name, amen. We sing together 406. As we sing, as God is speaking to you, won't you come? It may well be today some of you need to come confessing sin, confessing faith, negligence in your life. You do what God would have you to do as we stand to sing. Thank you, my brothers and sisters, for listening to another powerful message from Pastor J.C. Mitchell. If he you touched your heart and you want to accept Jesus Christ 
Today is the day of salvation. I would love for you to pray with me. If you want Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, repeat these words. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me. Father God, forgive me all of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. And my brothers and sisters, I see um, preach about healing. If there's anyone sick in body, I am praying for you right now. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for every person that is under the sound of our voice, Lord. I pray for healing. By your stripes, they are healed. You send your word and heal us all. In the powerful name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. If you said that prayer for the first time, please send us a message. God bless you.